All right. Welcome to the Travel Mouth Podcast. I'm here with my friend, Josh. We're going to talk about some food stuff today. Josh, how you doing? Thanks for coming. Good, good. I owe my robust physique to food. Yeah, that's that's my case as well, for sure. I think uh, if it wasn't for food and my desire for food all the time, I'd be probably getting myself in all kinds of other trouble. It's it's probably my biggest addiction. Yeah, yeah I uh, feel that in the gravity. So I want like to start off with kind of uh, what I'm going to term as your hot take, uh, your very last answer on the survey, and that is peanut butter and pickles. Heck yeah. Uh, I don't even know where this came from, if I'm being perfectly Pregnant honest. ladies. <laughs> uh, could, maybe. Uh, maybe. I mean, I, it sounds I've been, good, though. I've been eating it since I was a kid. And, and the thing is, it's, it's peanut butter and pickles on toast. And it's creamy peanut butter, dill pickles on toast. And it doesn't really matter what kind of toast. You could have it on sourdough, whatever. Um, That's great, because those were my three questions right there. I'm like, okay, <laughs> creamy, creamy or crunchy? Yeah, exactly. I was just about to ask that. Great. Yeah. Let me so tell you how to build I'm getting one. The vibe. I'm getting the vibe. Yeah, and I, I, I don't really know why it works. I think the acidity with the richness of the peanut butter, and then I, I insist on toast for texture. I mean, yeah, solely and, texture, and I like it a little warm. You know, the the warmed up peanut butter is nice. But yet, I won't do peanut butter on a burger. Computes. So that oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, I, I do that it's thing, weird. and I'm sure you do this too, where somebody describes a food to you, a dish or something, and you try to like taste it in your mind. So my mind goes, okay, so we've got the pickles, the salty, the dill flavor, a little bit of sourness, you know, the sweetness of the peanut butter, um, the crunch of the bread, like all these things. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I feel like I can taste it in my mind, and it, I think it works. I, I think it does, and uh, there was. I, I want to say it was like the New York Times three, four years ago, put out an article talking about peanut butter and pickles as a sandwich. And I'll have to look for that. of course, the uh, you know, the Internet was just like, it's what now? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, since I was a kid, I'm like, finally, someone's speaking my language. What's that? Oh, that dish that you showed me, the um, the Midwestern sushis, pickles, um, ham. Yep. And you can uh, use ham or, or dried beef oh, okay. uh, around it. And it's basically, yeah, you take a dill pickle, uh, like a medium sized, and you wrap that with uh, the dried beef and then cream cheese is kind of what glues it together. Uh, so that goes between your, your dried beef and, and your pickle. So your pickles have to be dry, of course, to start with. Uh, yeah. And then you, you know, put the put the cream cheese on your slice of whatever you can use ham or dry beef, roll it up and then you slice it into little rounds. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a herring roll mop without the fish. Yeah. <laughs> I like the, uh, the pickled things are ubiquitous in that, that culture. That's they're just everywhere. And so you get creative with all these pickled dishes. Everything's pickled, pickled herring, pickled pickles. Yeah. It's peanut uh, butter. Mid Midwesterners, you know, at least Minnesota, where I'm from, um, you know, our ethnic diversity in northern Minnesota is basically which Scandinavian are you? Are you yeah. Polish? Are you Swedish? Are you Norwegian? You know, and that's I mean, that was the, the, the kind of thing, you know, we'd, we'd make jokes about about the Polacks because uh, they had a good sense of humor about it. So. 
<laughs> and the and the foods that culturally overlap there are the ones that probably are the the most available because it's like not only does one culture want it but maybe three or four different Scandinavian cultures are interested in this you know pickled fish product yeah and so suddenly that's the thing that they're making I like that well and, and you've got to figure that that region was largely you know good fishing up in there so all of them had that kind of thing in common uh harsh winters so preservation and and storage of food of course was important in in the old country uh but then also you know there was the the prospect of uh of raiders you know coming to potentially take food uh from from people up there and so one of the things that kind of came out of that was uh uh, lutefisk, which I am not a fan of, but it is codfish soaked in lye. And I think the kind of idea was that, you know, well, they're not going to want it if it's been soaking in cleaning fluid. Um, That's amazing. And make so it make something me, like inedible for a time and then they kind of bring it back by like soaking the lye out of it, right? Well, yeah. Somewhat. So they boil somewhat. Yeah. Boil so it, it's, okay. it's this boiled, you know, uh, it's essentially, I don't know if I want to say pickled fish, but it comes out with a very, a very soft texture it's, because it's, it's been denatured exactly <laughs> That's for sure. uh, yeah. and so the, the, even to this day they will still do lutefisk feeds up in northern minnesota uh especially around the holidays and uh i've never had it's it. it's i i do not care for it it's like fish flavored yeah. jello as far as i'm concerned oh, uh they serve with a ton of so butter can you break it apart with your tongue like if you put it in your oh, mouth yeah. and you push it to the roof of your mouth with your tongue, it'll just bust apart, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I'm now I'm kind of curious to try it just to experience that fish jello texture. Well, and another another weird thing about it too is so modern, you know, like my generation and younger don't much care for it. It's you know, uh, older people, my my grandparents God rest them, uh, would go to these things and loved them. Um, and as they have, that generation has died off, uh, these companies that were based in Minnesota to make lutefisk and that sort of thing, I've found mm-hmm. that they don't really have a market, except they found out that there is another market. And it's uh, like Somali immigrants people coming from parts of Africa are very much interested in, in their dried fish and uh, other sort of products like that, that previously kind of went to Scandinavians. Um, And so they've kind of, you know, swapped who their target audience is. Uh, And they're still able to sell that with, uh, with a new audience. And I could be getting it incorrect as to, you know, who, who that is, but I feel like it was, uh, you know, immigrants that are coming up there and I, it, it's, it could be small. It could also be Laotians because we have a lot of those in like the Minneapolis area of Minnesota. Both of those um, are big immigrant populations there. And it's one of those two that's very like much that. into it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I Have you ever heard the story about how uh, Japan didn't eat salmon as sushi at all? And then a, a guy, I think it was from the Netherlands, was trying to get some a buyer for a bunch of salmon. And so he went and kind of was the johnny apple seed of salmon in japan and that's why it's such a big deal over there now i was not familiar with that story but i, I do yeah. kind of love it because i mean that's one of their very you know very favorite uh, it is tuna and salmon are, are the 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 hallmarks of sashimi <laughs> yeah and so i stories like that are always interesting to me where it's just like the 
you know, they had to find a new market. They didn't want to shut down the factory. They found a new market and, you know, the fisheries in this case. And so they found a new market for it. Um, and now it's obviously it's ingrained in their culture and it's what you would expect. But if you go to a restaurant that does, you know, traditional Edo period, like early sushi kind of stuff, they won't do salmon, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, so talking about Japan, that was something you mentioned. Uh, you have an interest in Japan. And that's I, I always find that kind of stuff interesting. Like you're not necessarily from that culture. You didn't exactly grow up in, a, you know, an Asian exposure very much, I wouldn't think, where you grew up. Um, but but that's something that's very interesting to you. Where's that? Where does that come from? What makes you interested in in Japan and Japanese food and Japanese culture? So I think it, it kind of started out. Uh, I had an uncle who went over there to teach uh, when I awesome. was young to do and the like uh, teach English thing that people yes. get to do. Awesome. Yeah. So he previously been in the Peace Corps, that sort of thing, and uh, ended up in Japan. Um, and actually, his two daughters were born there as well. So of course they are. Scandinavian, blonde hair in Japan, a country that very much, you know, blonde hair is just like, oh, this is different and unusual and yeah. very cute. And yeah, my, a lot of attention. My, my cousins have these stories about how they would just get mobbed by, you know, people are just like, oh, kawaii, 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 you know, so cute, so cute. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I think it was, you know, him, him kind of putting it on my radar when I was young. Mm -hmm. And then I started getting into, you know, I you can't really say you got into ramen in college because your ramen in college was basically the top ramen brick. Well, of yeah, fried but I, noodles. I feel like that that opens the door. It almost gives you like a, a ground floor and it helps you even appreciate when you have that good bowl of ramen. You're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's and supposed maybe, to be. OK, yeah. And maybe if you hadn't had that top ramen experience, then maybe the weight of the of the real ramen experience wouldn't hit you quite so well. I don't know. Yeah. I, I surmise. And I think uh, another part of it is, you know, just the difference in um, flavors that that are there. Mm -hmm. It's, mm -hmm. you know, I kind of I'm going to digress for a second here. I, I grew, growing up in northern Minnesota, a lot of the food is is a little bland. Uh, and that's not to say that, you know, my parents or family or anyone were bad cooks, but there's not a lot of spice in sure. uh, traditional and older cooking. And and so things, I, I guess I had a, more of an adventurous palate, you know, that I grew up with. Um, yeah. And it was always interesting for me to try things and experiment with things sometimes for better or for worse. Um, and I think it just seemed like, you know, Japanese food in particular piqued my interest because of the whole sushi thing. The idea that they could take a product that you, you can't conceive of eating raw fish in, in northern Minnesota. Everything, you know, the walleye is fantastic, but you're not going to eat that raw. Nothing mm -hmm. there is is raw. It's you, you cook it. So it seemed like such a departure from what I was used to. I'm like, I have to try it. And just kind of you know, fell in love I with that. I'm just like, I want to find more out, eat more yeah. of this. I almost took it as a dare. Uh, and and yeah. like, you know, my my mom was like, I would never. And that that was even more motivation to me. And then I'm like, well, then I would. You yeah. know, I remember being that way about it, like very interested just because it felt like something taboo, you know. Mm -hmm. But of course, that was what the early 80s for us. 
and really that's you know i've learned more about it uh got big into cooking shows like iron chef um mm. you know even back in college and watching you know morimoto uh on the old old school iron chef and then more of the modern stuff and he would always bring these interesting influences from japanese cooking into it and so it's like okay what was that he said i gotta figure out what that was you know and just you know learning about it through that and that also opened me up to a lot of you know southwestern type of of, of cooking you know bobby flay's take on things but then also um you know other people who would come on and cook real you know southwest type or, or mexican type of food was yeah. always really interesting and that's you know i, I kind of got to be a little bit of a uh, pseudo spice lord uh in high school uh my buddy and i would get together and make this bean dip and i still make the bean dip in its essential form it's very simple it's Ooh, not fancy i've never heard but about we, this bean dip we would uh hit it with we try to make it spicy like and one time we straight up ruined it we we got our, our hands on a little can of the bomb you know back before sean evans and the whole uh you know <laughs> Hot Ones thing was was a thing that existed. The bomb existed before that, and it was just you know it's as bad then as it was now, as it is now. It's just <laughs> straight capsaicin. Yeah, I've heard it's it's jet fuel is what it, the uh, description I've gotten from people. Yeah, it, it it it's funny because the whole hot sauce thing with 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 Hot Ones, you know, it, you get you see these different this lineup of ten that they put out. And they put the bomb like at number eight mm -hmm. and it's, it's just a palate wrecker. You know, anything beyond that is, you know, as hot or maybe slightly hotter, but mm -hmm. those other ones that I've tried that have been behind that always seem to have more flavor. There's a little more citrus and fruit notes coming out of the peppers in in those whereas the bomb is just heat for the sake of heat and not not pleasant so well it's almost like they made it as a prank to play on your friends like you know oh you like hot sauce oh i got this one i really want you to try <laughs> and then yeah. you don't actually eat it you know it's like when you watch uh andrew zimmer and, and he'll be in some culture and they'll be like here try this and they'll be like do you guys actually eat this and they're like no <laughs> but go ahead try it <laughs> <laughs> Our ancestors used to eat it. It's like, oh well, okay. <laughs> I guess I'll try it. Yeah, there's. But yeah, I, hot sauces like that, I'm not too into, and I, that's why I've had the opportunity to try the bomb, but I passed it up just because I've I've heard it's just straight punishment, no flavor, and I'm not really yeah. into that. But let, let's get back to that bean dip. Now, you usually just put a good hot sauce in there, and and one time you put the bomb in, is what you're saying? Well, the idea was to kind of try and spice it up to kind of challenge ourselves. That'll do it. Um, yeah. and yeah, the bomb was a mistake. It was practically inedible, but it's, it's super simple. It's, uh, in its basic form back when we used to make it, it was a can of refried beans and a can of Hormel chili, hot chili, no beans. Okay. And you put those two things together in a pan and then add like a little taco sauce to thin out the mix. And you get this really easy bean dip. Nice. Now, over the years, I've changed it up where I add like a little taco meat to kind of make it a little more hearty. And I throw some cheese into it to kind of give it a there little binding effect. But it's yep, it's this brownish gray, delicious thing to put chips into. That's, <laughs> and, that's, what I, that's what I did is my mom used to make that Rotel cheese Velveeta dip growing up. Yep. And I kind of just morphed it together with a bean dip. And it's pretty much just that it's 
yeah, Rotel cheese bean dip. Interesting spin on that one. If you ever want to try it, uh, take cream cheese. Yeah. Italian sausage and Rotel. Oh my God. That sounds so good. It is. It's fantastic. <laughs> that sounds ridiculously good. That's like that drunk dip or whatever. The, the cheesy, Oh man, the cheesy salsa. Yeah. Again, that, uh, very, very do. simple. That too. It's just cream cheese and salsa three, whipped together. And then you add yeah. Cheese into it and on top of it. Yeah. I think I got to try I, it, the cream cheese sausage Rotel though. Oh man, that sounds good. Yeah. Every single one of these I have been exposed to in the Midwest. We are very big on dips. dips. And I know there's it, even dip parties. Have you heard about that? Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, uh, it's such a great idea. <laughs> I want to go to a dip party. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's funny because like uh, uh, my friend Carrie uh, will, you can tell she's Midwestern too, because we will show up for a thing like we brought dip. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like our default mode, like, you know, what we need to do bring a dip to this. Oh, uh, it just makes every party better. Yeah. And I, I think there's a certain, you know, communal nature to that. You bring a dip, people have to keep coming back to get it. And you kind of graze and then you, you know, you're hanging out with people around the dip and it yeah, kind of, it's like forces a, flower you to socialize. a bunch of, yeah, it's like, it's like a flower that a bunch of bees are trying to like visit. And so yep. there you have that sort of like buzzing. Yeah. I like that. It is kind of good for a party to do that instead of people building a plate and then going and sitting by themselves somewhere. It kind of creates that. No, go back and get more. Go, go back and try this one. Go back and try that one. I like that. Yeah. That's a good idea. So what what uh, what crunchy things? Uh, you said crunchy and salty things are your are your jam. Um, and now that we're talking about dips, you've got me thinking about what kind of chips we're dipping in those uh, and other <laughs> things that we did. I think I think these things are related because you know you've got to have those things on hand for your dips. Um, yeah. But like you know, dots pretzels are one of those things that I would eat. Just okay. So if you were gonna dip dots itself. in something though, what would be? Because they they're so like I feel like they're almost a complete bite themselves yeah. is there something that I, I you would wouldn't. dip the dots in okay i wouldn't that's the thing right. um they are the exception yeah. uh, otherwise everything else is you know supplemented by dip you they're, know frito scoops pre, are great for yeah yeah they are i would agree frito scoops are awesome man especially fact, for that bean dip you were talking about earlier yeah well any any of the things i've mentioned frito scoops is, is kind of you know a go-to or you can mm -hmm. go to the tostito scoops uh which I, I always feel like Fritos are better just because they hold they, up better. They hold to up. Yeah. Anything. They have more structure. Yeah. Um, and now Tostitos make something similar too. So they learned the lesson that maybe they need the chip not to disintegrate as it makes the pass <laughs> through the dip. Just saying. And and what about cold dips? Like, uh, do you, are you down with the French onion dips and the, any other like sour cream based? Uh... Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. One thing I is make that, pretty that, frequently. Does that count at a dip party? Like, would somebody bring a cold dip, or is it all going to be hot dips? Oh no, for sure. You you got to have both. Cold's allowed. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, the problem is, of course, both of them you know start to reach room temperature, and so you've got to have it's a, yeah, means it's a to deal with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, cold dips for sure. Um, uh, again, something I like to make for parties is uh is kind of a layered dip with with cream cheese and cheese and salsa but it's instead of being blended together it, it's it's in layers and you can kind of 
pick at it, you know? Um, yeah, I, I grew up eating those. My mom would make, uh, on Sundays, a lot of times she'd make a seven layer dip. It was kind of in the rotation for yeah. a few years at least. But I don't like cold beans, so I would never use beans in a layered ah, dip because of that. Okay. So, uh, again, my my personal tastes play into this. Uh, <laughs> As they but I find things at work. As they should. And that's the thing is when people are like, well, I know traditionally dot, 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 but I like to. I'm like, no, that's how it should be. Do it your way. I think yeah. both regional and personal varieties are what's up. And I, I think some really cool discoveries can be made that way. People are like, well, since I don't put beans and I wanted to do whatever, I added more of this or whatever, and they make some adjustment. And then suddenly it's like, okay, this is the best version of it I've ever had. Yeah. I, I would say that's probably the one thing I'm I'm guilty of that I should try to rein in at some point because I'm always trying things. I'll tweak something in everything I make. Nothing is ever the same thing twice, generally. It's I very close. The same. I'm the same. I almost feel like what's the point of not like, taking the opportunity to learn again. Cause like, you know, Oh yeah, I've almost got it dialed in. I, I really liked it last time, but like, Oh, but what if, you know, what if I try this little new thing or new change? This time or... I'm adding lime juice to it, you know? Yeah. And then you're like, Oh, that is better. And so then that gets incorporated, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to mess with it again next time. <laughs> yeah. I am definitely the same on that. I, I don't know if that's like an ego thing. You know, maybe some people just feel like, no, I nailed it and I will never change. And they write it on a menu card and it's exactly the same thing forever. But I just, I don't know. I always feel like there's room for improvement. Yeah, there's something to be said for reproducibility too. I mean, it's, there is, there is, especially if you're in the restaurant setting. Like I, I feel like that would be something I might even struggle with if I were to open a restaurant, I would get excited about some new technique or some new angle or some new piece of equipment and it would change the dish. And people yeah. would be like, this isn't what we had last time. Yeah, that's so. that's a definite a definite danger. So because here's somebody again, who's very with... consistent is Freddy's. I yes. am impressed with Freddy's. Even if I haven't been in months and I get the chance to go and I go, I'm like, this is exactly like it was last time. Yeah. I I, I do think it's office? kind of funny that you'll get like I'm I'm a fan of Freddy's myself. Like I go there probably more often than I should. But there was one time I went there and I don't know if they had a new guy on the, on the grill or what. Oh, you, got, you had an inconsistent issue. All right. But it, it was, it was as good or better. And I wasn't mad about it because oh. they didn't smash the burger quite as flat. Oh, I still know, got the lace. Yes. Yeah, but it came out a little thicker and it was like a, a little pink and a little thicker. I'm like, you know what? I don't hate this. This is really good too. Can you order it that way? That'd be so funny I, to go through the drive-thru and be like, hey, look, <laughs> last time I was here, they, they left it a little thick in the middle. Is there any way to get the grill guy to do that? They'd probably be like, oh, yeah. And they'd even maybe tell you some like order hack on how to ask for it. Yeah. And that's the thing is, I, if I was going to do that, I would ask inside. Yeah, because true. Yeah, drive-thru the, is kind of rough. You're barking at them. Yeah, the Midwest politeness yeah. is just like I'm not going to hold people behind me <laughs> trying to decipher this with the poor person trying to take my order through the drive-through. It's just I'm here to get it and get out. Nice. Yeah, I like that. But I I do think it would be worth an ask because now I want a burger that way. Now I want one done Josh style at Freddy's because I just they use great ingredients. I've liked their burgers since day one. So impressed with what they do. I'd love to have one done just a little bit juicier and maybe not quite as uh, driven over, flattened. 
Yeah, my uh, my good... hate their burgers for that reason. I heard somebody talking smack on Freddy's the other day because they're like, oh, they just overcook them and they're too flat. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I guess I like them that way. Yeah, I think an argument that, that some people make is that it's too dry, but it, they're... yeah, that's what they I've said. I've never had so. them where they're that dry. I mean, I think they cook them just to the 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 bare edge of it, but they still leave you know enough moisture in it where it works. Yeah, I think and. Generally, with a smash patty, if you get cheese on it, like I, I feel like it's gonna stay, like it's not gonna feel that dry when you bite into it because there's that extra fat and that extra moisture. So I don't know. I usually don't have a problem with it. But if you go, I guess if you go burger, uh, no toppings, no cheese, then yeah, I could see how maybe a Freddy's could seem a little dry as yeah. compared to some other places. I mean, my go-to has always been number one, add mayo, onion rings for the side because i don't much care for those tiny little fries that they serve nor do i nor uh, do i but the last time i had it which was like last week i want to say uh they because you i'd always get like a thing of the spicy fry sauce to to have with the oh yeah with the, with the onion about rings. That. yeah and uh they sent regular fry sauce i don't know if they were out of spicy or whatever but um oh. they changed the packaging it used to be kind of this round thing and now mm-hmm. it's it's a little more squarish. And I was a little irritated because I couldn't get the onion ring into it. <laughs> <laughs> you have to like so, do the, the break, the break and poke technique yeah. with the onion rings. That's the only way. Yeah, I've had that issue before. That's no, funny. That's my that's my I only like Freddy's complaint. <laughs> I like how they, they didn't quite cook it right and it was still really good. That's kind of awesome. That shows that they're they're doing things right. I, I remember reading years ago about how um, companies that write cake recipes, they write them so that you can really mess up like in so many ways and then the cake will still kind of come out all right. And so I feel like if you can design a process to where a bunch of you know young kids come work in your restaurant and they're still putting out really good burgers, you know, even if they've only worked there for six weeks and maybe won't work there next month and it'll be a new kid on the grill. Um, that's kind of cool. They've they've written the uh, the Duncan Hines, the Betty Crocker style cake recipes that people can execute. Yeah, and even it's if they like, messed up, they still made you a good burger. I like it. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, you know the, the the secret of of wedding cake bakers. What do you do? Well, I take Duncan Hines and then add like a packet of uh, pudding mix. Totally basically, happening. yes, that hundred percent happens. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Most of them are just like that's exactly how it happens. Like this is yeah. how we get this ultra moist pudding mix. Yeah. Yep. Which is funny when you when you get into the industry and you learn all those little hacks. You're like, oh, I wondered how you did that. You're like, exactly. It's it's just the box. It's like, oh, okay. Well, no wonder it's so good. So let's talk There's about nothing wrong with that. Uh, I mean, you don't need to reinvent the wheel with everything. No, I I completely agree. And if it's a hack that works and the money's right, then shoot, keep doing it. I was going to touch on next uh, something to drink since we've been talking salty things here for a little bit, something to to cleanse the palate. And you had mentioned uh, Diet Mountain Dews are daily. So where where did that start? And and what is it do you think about a Diet Mountain Dew that you're feeling on the regular? It's, uh, you know, I I, I like the citrus bit of it. it's. Um, uh, a little more, I don't know, lime, but also some orange going on there. Like Sprite's always a good fallback for me if I want something that doesn't have caffeine in it, but I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm not a hot beverage guy. See, that's and, where I thought it was. Yeah. And so it's basically, is, that's your way to caffeine. Yeah. It's wake up juice. 
<laughs> oh, so are, when's your first one? Like, how early do you think you're grabbing that that first one? Is that nine o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock in the morning? Uh, I try to go to like nine or ten. I don't want to, okay. you know, hit the ground running immediately with right. sugar. Uh, right. Well, it's diet, so no sugar, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I know I, I probably shouldn't, you know, have have two or three of those in a day. So I try to be a little better. When was the last more... time you had a non-diet Mountain Dew? uh yeah whenever they come out with a with a new flavor like See, they I had that the too. yep yep i tried one the other day and i was yeah. like oh my god that's so sweet <laughs> yeah and, and and that's the thing you go to it and you're just like oh my god and it's just overpowering like you, you feel like i always would say this about coca-cola when i would drink it and i, I don't know it's just you know coming from more of a pepsi background or what but you know it's like my teeth feel fuzzy because of the amount yeah. of sugar in it uh and it's it's kind of like that it. and i've since gotten over my aversion to, to coca-cola that's fine but it's again i would probably want diet in that case because just don't need all that sugar yeah some of these new flavors when they drop them they drop a, a zero sugar flavor at the same time and that's always like yay i get to try it but yeah. other times they don't and i'm like all right i'll try the the regular sugar one and <laughs> woof. Can't hang anymore. And I used to. I was a Code Red drinker, man. I used to buy bottles and bottles of Code Red all the time. Full sugar. Of that one. I did I like the why. throwback do that they did for a while, where it was um, real sugar instead of the corn syrup sugar. Oh yeah, I bought those and, for a while too. And that was better, I think. But still, you know, it's uh, more calories than I want to throw at myself. So yeah, that's that's what it came down to, and. Even now, I, I drink diet sodas occasionally, but I drink a lot of those uh, spin drifts as well, just for the same reason. But um, I still like a good diet Mountain Dew. When I'm hanging with you and there's diet Mountain Dews around, you know I'm trying to grab one. Yeah, like, here you go. <laughs> you know I got more. Yeah, I like it. So you also mentioned uh, uh, something, that a snack that I like that we haven't talked about yet, and that is white cheddar smart pop. I'm also a fan. I, I love that stuff. I find it's dangerous because I can mindlessly eat way too much of it. Yeah. I feel like they need to have a nutrition statement on the back. Like uh, the serving size is X, but I'm like, well, what if I ate half the bag? <laughs> right. Just, just do it by half bag, whole bag. That would be much yeah. more helpful. I would agree. Yeah. I love that stuff. And, uh, and here you mentioned something. I don't even know what it is. Can you explain side pork? Yeah. So um, again, Midwestern food. Um, there's... I, I want to learn more. I want to know more. I'm so intrigued. So, uh, it's we would only have it with one dish, and side pork is basically pork belly, salted pork oh, belly, but it. it's not smoked or cured or anything. And so okay. you just slice it up and you fry it, kind of like bacon, but it's it's not like I said, not cured or anything like yeah. that. So you get this little ribbon of of salted pork belly and we'd eat this with a uh, uh, a potato dumpling called klub potet klub and it's it's a uh, it's basically potato uh like rice potatoes and flour and you make this little dumpling and, and we'd always have it mom would dice up ham and put in it and oh, you just had get this like little brown butter sauce or something like is it just in a is it steamed or how, how are they prepared you boil it 
So you okay. get this little dough ball, basically, that's been boiled, and it it takes on the consistency of like, uh, I mean, it, it's good size too. Like typically, they're a couple inches across. So okay. you get this little wad of you know ham infused in our case, um, almost like a biscuit after it's cooked long enough. Um, I want these now. I've never seen just, this dish before. Yeah, you just eat it. You'd knife and fork it, you know, with your uh -huh. side pork there. Um, <laughs> With some Is that butter. Like your girlfriend, <laughs> your side pork. <laughs> uh, uh, no. All right, maybe not. But but now that's a new code term, I guess, for that. I that'll know. be. I know. That'll are be. We, yeah, we you get some side pork. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing I found, and this was never anything we did when I was young. We would just eat 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 the dumplings with the with the side pork, and it was delicious. Um, what I would do is. When I would make it, and I, I can't get the the mix for it out here. I have to order it from Minnesota because it's one of those things mm -hmm. that's very there. Um, but when I get some out here, I would make it, and I also have leftovers. I would take the cold dumplings and slice them up, and then fry them in brown butter. So there's yeah, your brown butter it. connection. Yeah. And I was I, already you know, like make, in that. I was like, this is pierogies. I want the potato pierogi experience. <laughs> essentially, yeah, and it, it's yeah. uh it, it's uh, I forget exactly what heritage this comes from. I I don't believe it's necessarily in our region. It's very Scandinavian though. It's yeah, you know, one of the big three. But yeah, frying them up in a little brown butter, fantastic. Oh, that sounds great. I I, I want to eat more of that food. It's just not around me anywhere. I I've been even trying to get into more Eastern European food. I went to a, a European deli here and bought some stuff just to try new and different things. Um, they had a lot of pickled herring dishes and stuff like that. And um, I, I love it all. It's just uh, the, the entry to it is not easy. There's nobody like, you know, I don't know. There's no superstar chef like explaining all the dishes and telling you why they're good or anything. So you, you're kind of taking the risk on your own. And, and it, it's, there's a lot of good flavors out there, but it's a lot of like new stuff, like just they push different angles like sourness and earthiness and stuff. They, they push different flavors um, more than I'm used to. And I didn't know if I'd like it or not. And I really do. Um, especially like smoke, like the smoked fish and smoked hams and stuff like that, that I've had have been just amazing. So I, like, I, I know uh, that I have a lot more exploring to do. Yeah. When you get into that Eastern European thing, uh, borscht was yeah. kind of the, the one thing that I, Again, another uncle of mine um, yeah. got got into it because I think – and he's told me this story, and I'm about to screw it up. I guarantee it. <laughs> I think he said when he was dating somebody, they'd gone up into Canada, and they met up with somebody there who, who served them borscht. And I think it was in their home. I don't think – you know, it was it was a, a restaurant that they went to, and he he became a fan of it, and so he makes it, and I've had his a couple of times, um, and so I decided I would try making it, and it's to your point, you know, it's this kind of sweet and sour soup, where mm -hmm. you add vinegar to offset the sweetness of the beets that are in it, and uh, beets being earthy. So here we go. Now we're yeah. right in the realm of what I was talking about. Yeah, exactly. That that's what made me think of it. Yeah. Uh, but it's funny, he'd sent me a recipe, and uh, again, because I can't leave well enough alone, I saw that recipe, and I'm like, here's what I'm going to change before I even cook it, <laughs> because I saw opportunities to change, 
you know, it's just like boil the meat. I'm like, no, I'm not boiling the meat. I'm going to sear this off and then I'll chop it up and then put it in there because I want to create a little more flavor as yep. I'm doing it. And it, the bit, dish isn't going to suffer for it. It's going to be just a little bit better. It may not be traditional, yep. but I'm going to enjoy it more. So I, I took that route with it. And, it that's, turned out and that's exactly what we were talking about earlier about personalization. I like that kind of stuff. I feel like that's, I mean, you have the knowledge. Why wouldn't you apply it? You know, it'd be weird to go like, oh yeah, I'm just going to boil this when you know that's not the best way to treat that product. So yeah. like, I, I Although, like that and I always encourage that. I, I, I want to toe that line between respecting what the dish is supposed to be and, you know, adhering to tradition in some ways. Like, I'm I'm almost a little militant about tater tot hot dish because it's designed to be this, you know, simple throw it together, throw it in the oven, feed a family kind of thing. And when mm -hmm. I see recipes where they kind of zhuzh it up um, on purpose, it's kind of like that kind of defeats the purpose. I mean, I get that you're trying to not use the can of cream and mushroom soup in this thing. Mm -hmm. And I can appreciate that for what it is. But at the same time, it's also kind of counterintuitive to this is just supposed to be you know open a couple cans throw it together you know an hour in the oven and you're done so yeah it's it's a step away from the impetus for the dish uh, originally which is to be fast and easy and cheap yeah and so that's where it was created was for those reasons and then you're like taking all that i don't know it's interesting like it's almost like if you were part of the culture that it was created for and intended for, then you wouldn't do that. Maybe, I don't know. That's a, that's a weird way to think of it, but maybe the fact that you're trying to take it in a different direction, I don't know. Maybe you own it then at that point, that's, that's an interesting thought. Uh, uh, I'm not even sure where I land on that myself, actually. I think it's the trade-off of convenience versus uh, elevation. You know, if if the means to elevate it require an additional, you know, two hours of work, then you yeah. absolutely defeated the purpose of it. If it's something you can do and it adds 15, 20 minutes to your prep time, um, you know, or the cook time or whatever, uh, then, yeah, go for it. I mean, that that's a good trade off. But if it's, you know, you have to. You have to weigh those options and and. What's that trade-off as far as your effort versus your return? Uh, even in food, I think that, you know, it's it's not just a financials thing. <laughs> and I, I feel like we're moving that way somewhat to where cooking from ingredients, like cooking from whole foods, is getting to be more and more of a luxury thing that people just can't really afford to do. Either they're going to eat out or they're going to buy those uh, processed foods that are really quick to throw together because it's cheaper and faster and you know not only is there the initial cost but the time is a cost for them too and so yeah. it's only as we go forward it's only people who have the extra money and extra time that are going to be cooking from scratch or cooking from whole foods so yeah i, I know that's happened in other cultures like um in a lot of uh indonesia a lot of the uh, asian culture there they're not um cooking at home like at all it's like one in every like 30 people cooks at home everyone eats out three meals a day and it's because the food is safe and cheap and fast and it's like why would you ever bother it's yeah it's good and it's easy and it's healthy so I if think we could ever get to that culture i'd be happy not cooking but i feel like i almost have to cook at this point because i want 
something better and that's the only way to get there. Yeah. And that's, uh, I, I think the, the one thing that kind of throws a, a kink into that effort versus time thing is, yeah, you know, I'm willing to spend the time on, you know, a meal like Thanksgiving is probably a good example where I will start work two, three days beforehand. I will make my own chicken stock. I will prep things. You know, it's many hours go into the Thanksgiving dinner that I make. And it's because it's a family thing. And, you know, the amount of time, effort and whatnot that you put into a meal is it, it, it's kind of almost a little bittersweet sometimes because you put all this time and effort into something that goes very quickly at the end. It's almost like planning right. a wedding, you know, uh, you, you've, you've set up all of this stuff for an event that isn't going to last very long, but all that effort is, is basically, you know, you kind of loving on your guests and the yep, people who consume absolutely. the food and they may never fully appreciate the time or effort that went into it, but you know what you did. And yeah, as long as everyone's happy with it, there. it's a win. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like that too. Like um, when I cook for people that I care about, I really feel like it's an opportunity, um, not just for them to feel, oh, he, he made me food and that's cool and all, sure. But like, I, I see it the same way you do. I see it as an opportunity for me f- to feel fulfilled, to feel like I did something for people I care about. And I, I made an effort and I made a, I made a full effort. You know, I didn't, sell anything short. I bought the best ingredients I could. I took all the time that it took to do it right. I didn't cut any corners. And so like, it's, I think it's about that sometimes too. And like you said, they don't even have to know the full extent of what you went through, you know, and you, you know what that means. And I think there's a bit of a love language there thing that that's, that's how a lot of us who cook, that's how a lot of us show people that we, we care is through that effort, you know, whether they, they understand it or not, we do. Yeah. I didn't half-ass dinner. I used my whole ass on this one. Exactly. No, you throw the whole ass into it every time. So can you tell us about uh, potato sausage with grandpa? Because I've never had potato sausage. I'm I'm now making a list of things that I need to have next time I'm in Minnesota. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I feel like you can find potato sausage somewhere. Um Oh, is it going to be that's, one of those? Like almost that's a home not thing. homemade, but I feel okay. like it's very much a homemade thing. So, okay, um, potato sausage. It, so when we would go hunting, um, there any we we'd use the venison that wasn't, um, you know, reserved for like a roast or sure, steaks or the backstrap or something like that. Yeah, the the, yeah. the other cuts, uh, those plus pork. And then potatoes and onions and seasoning, and you grind all of that up into a sausage. And it was, it's just like getting, uh, you know, your, your meat, potatoes, gravy, all in, all in a tube. And it, it, I will not lie to you. It is not a pretty thing to look at. It's, (laughs) it's, it's, it's kind of dark. Is it like a gray gray. kind of mush? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I could almost picture it. But you take it you out just of the covered in gravy, right? Just pour some gravy on that, and you're good. Uh no, I've never put gravy on no? it. Uh, oh, okay. I, I typically like just call for gravy. Yeah, I I usually just eat it out of the out of the the casing. Casing, okay. Um, I don't really eat the casing. Other people do. I don't care for it. Uh, it's too thick. Um, but take that and then just you know some mustard. I'll just eat it mm. like that with. You know, whatever it, it's funny because 
Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, how is the potato added? Is it added? Is it cubed? Is it cooked? Is it raw when it goes in? Like, what's the what's it's the potato raw. addition? Okay, it's raw. So you run it right into the. You so you grind it just like you grind the meat. You're just grinding raw potatoes in as well. Yep. Same same with onions. I mean, you just get them wow. small enough to fit into the. Okay. Into the shoot to the grinder. So it ends and... up being the binder. Then it would almost be like a like a starchy binder for the whole thing. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Kind of holds it all together. Um, okay. So it has a consistent consistency, for lack of a better words, but its consistency is the same throughout. No yeah, chunkiness. And no, okay. If you really get it right, it it holds yeah. its shape well. Like you take the the casing off, and it's still going to uh -huh. hold, you know, the sausage shape. Um, okay. But it will also have a, a fairly good crumb to it. Like it'll crumble well. Uh, you'll you'll okay. get your little chunks of onion, potato, etc. in there. Okay. Um, okay. So it'll so have a multiple not, grinds. It goes through the grinder once, then probably. Yeah, once it's or twice. Like fine. Once once to grind it in, you kind of give it a mix, and then you put it back okay. through to stuff it basically. Um, nice. But yeah, you're, we're not getting down to like hot dog consistency on this. This is very much uh, a coarse sausage i really want one of these now that sounds so good and those flavors would definitely work with the venison and the and the pork oh that would be fantastic yeah. and you need the pork because venison's got no fat to it you have to have yeah yeah the, the pork to offset the fat so you buy pork shoulder and chop that up to to get in there and, and make it work so you don't have this really dry you know unpleasant sausage so was your grandpa actually making that himself yeah, we would all we would get together. We had uh, he had a grinder uh, at his house, and we would uh, and a stuffer get together, huh? He had a stuffer too, like a sausage stuffer that he would. Yeah, just one you put on the grinder, and I mean, I've got all the stuff for it myself. I I I do it. I've done it too. So uh, it's something I could still do. I just haven't been hunting in a few years, but. It's uh yeah it's it's very much nostalgia and it's one of those things you know like I can think of like for each of my grandparents there's like one thing food wise uh, grandpa in this case there's about four different things you know he was very much uh, very proud of his Irish heritage so corned beef and cabbage the whole boiled dinner thing you know mm -hmm. right after St Patrick's Day here. Um, that was one thing he would always have. And so I always do that uh, around St. Patrick's Day, if not on the day of just, you know, it's a uh, comforting remembrance, I guess, uh, of him and and how much he enjoyed that. And I certainly enjoy it as well. But uh, it's, you know, it I make it and I think of him. You know, if, if I were to make potato sausage, I would think of him. You know, if I make uh, buns, it's something that uh, my grandmother would do and you know she's one of those yeah. isn't that God great forbid you wanted to foods? try to make those buns because hers were all done by feel there's no real recipe and so trying nice. to decode that was like my brothers and i spent a lot of time uh, it was more them because i lived out here uh yeah. but they you know got together and they were like trying to figure out how much flour does she add <laughs> just you know ballparking it they've, they've got it pretty well deciphered and i am the benefactor of their labor on that nice one. yeah my uh one of my grandmas because i had a stepdad and stepmom i got a few extra grandmas but one of my grandmas knew how much i liked mashed potatoes and so anytime we'd have a family meal she would set aside a special bowl 
of mashed potatoes just for me so that even if the other bowl ran out i had my own bowl of mashed potatoes and that that was she made awesome mashed potatoes and that meant a lot to me but like just the fact that she did that that she noticed that i cared and that i really liked her mashed potatoes like i'll never forget that and that kind of stuff I, I just like you were saying how certain foods you know i just instantly think of somebody when i have good mashed potatoes i think of my grandma betty like right away because not only were her mashed potatoes good but you know she knew i liked mashed potatoes and so she made me extra and that's that kind of stuff is what food is always meant to me is like again going back to what we talked about earlier is the, that opportunity to connect to people um i you know, both a connection to the past and then also just a connection to people here in the present, just so that we can understand each other better. And I, I, if I have, you know, mint chocolate chip ice cream, I think of my mom, if I have, you know, meatloaf, I think of my dad, like everybody's, you can just think of people and then think of their food and the food that reminds you of them. And I, I think that's interesting. I, I'm sure a lot of people might say that my thing is cheeseburgers or something. I wonder what my son would say. I should ask him. <laughs> I should ask him what foods remind me or remind him of me, but I don't know. But I think yeah. we all leave that kind of legacy, you know, and celebrating the people we care about through food is, is a way to kind of keep them around and keep them in our heart. And I, I'm so into that. <laughs> it's, it's a big part of my life. Yeah. That, I think actually that's, that's, a, that's a good point. Something I w would like to you know, maybe ask people, what food reminds you of me? <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, and I, I think people a lot of times for me would go with the easy answer because there's a lot of stuff that I'm publicly like praising constantly. So they'd be like, ah, cheeseburgers, yeah. which is okay, sure. But, you know, I don't know. But I, I think I'd I almost made, rather, maybe? yeah, I, I I would worry that that the answer you're going to get is what what food does that person like? And I'm like, right. no, if you eat something, does that make you think of me? Is it something yeah. that I made for you or something that we enjoyed together? You know, something like that. You know, I, I, I don't want you to say, well, this is your favorite food. No, 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 that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking yep. you, what do you associate? You know, it's like uh, when you smell something, it is, you associate it with a place or a person or an event or something. Uh, kind of like that. It's that brain's muscle memory for a food or a sensation you know, that, that sticks in your brain sometimes yeah, more I, than other things. I love when that happens and you almost feel like you're not in control. Like when you have that nostalgia moment where you're like snapped back into a place by, like you're saying, like a smell or, you know, a taste yeah. or, or whatever memory sends you back. And it's like, you don't even have control of that. I, I, I like that. It's almost like you just have to submit to it. And if you do, the the fun nostalgia ride can be amazing. It's it's given me a whole new appreciation for food for different reasons, too. Like, even when I see other people liking things that I don't like, I can get it because maybe they have some other connection that I don't have, you know, whether it's cultural, historical, family, whatever it is, they've got some connection to it. And I taste it and I go, yeah, I don't get it. I don't like this, but I'm not going to like shit on it because like it's probably good to them for all kinds of reasons that I don't get, you know, yeah. like don't I think somebody else's mobs. Yeah. I think other people, a lot of people see role mobs and be completely just, Oh, what the gross is that? But you know, <laughs> if it's something that you grew up around, I'm just a weirdo. I'm interested because I like that kind of stuff. But I think a lot of people have, you know, that whole like, Oh, that's outside the norm. That's not something that I would find in a restaurant normally around me. And so that's weird. And, and whatever. Yeah. And then. yeah, hunting down herring roll mops 
proved to be more challenging than I thought. But thank goodness for a you know little German specialty store having you know this this chunk of fish wrapped around a pickle. Uh, and the what an amazing uh, product pickles again. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's weird. I don't think it would be something I would ever have thought uh, have sought out had it not been something that was just kind of again part of that that family experience and it, it gets back to you know the whole the whole deer hunting thing it grandpa would get them and bring them out to to deer camp and so you'd have those mm-hmm. things available and uh that's where you'd get exposed to you know that sort of thing it was roll mops in the morning and then you'd bring a kipper snack with you out onto the onto the deer stand and uh i don't understand how you know deer have a good sense of smell they can smell you i wondered that myself yeah you'd mentioned this to me before and i was like they've got to smell those robots like two miles away and be like oh they're back they're back (laughs) yeah i I don't know maybe it just confuses them the the smell of the smell of vinegar and fish in the woods just like that doesn't smell (laughs) like human i I don't know what (laughs) yeah oh that's true well maybe it does maybe it has that effect maybe it masks those uh human smells that they would know otherwise and be fearful of yeah grandpa was playing 5g 5d chess way ahead of his time yeah he was way ahead of the game (laughs) you know i wonder about that too is those products those kind of legacy products are they going to be around and for how many more generations are we going to carry those on yeah it's uh i I mean it gets back to that whole point of the that cottage industry of sorts in in minnesota for these very specific scandinavian foods yeah if, if demand continues to 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 drop off for that then yeah it there comes a point where you 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 don't find it anymore i mean uh i had a another my other grandfather uh would always have a bowl of ice cream in the evenings before he would go to bed Mm -hmm. and that's that's one thing i have noticed especially now that my grandparents are gone is that their generation was very much about dessert like yes. you know des- dessert mom. after a I meal or in the yep. evening or something um yep. it's and... funny we talked about this on a on an earlier episode um he said the same thing about his grandma always eating ice cream with his grandma that's his memory and so yeah. i i do think it's an older generation thing just like you're touching on yeah and it uh anyway where i'm where i'm going with it uh other than that bit was my one grandfather's favorite ice cream was discontinued yeah and I, I can't find it. It's it's not a thing that exists. Um, it was like a, a chocolate marshmallow type of ice cream. <laughs> I was sure but, you were going to say pickle. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, that would be weird. I would try it though. I'll try it once. I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, it was a very specific type of chocolate marshmallow. Like people would be like, yeah. "Oh, get out, go out and get Rocky Road." No, not the same. Okay. And that was uh, my first thought was Rocky Road as well. I was like, yeah, "Yeah, chocolate marshmallow peanut. Yeah, no, no no nuts. It was it was it was specifically Schwann's chocolate marshmallow ripple. And it was a a very light chocolate. And there was just this kind of ribbon of marshmallow fluff in it. Uh, So it was very subtle. It wasn't chunks of marshmallow or fake little, you know, hot chocolate marshmallow things in ice cream. None, None of that. Okay. Okay. It was very subtle. Um, 
but yeah, they, they don't make it anymore. Uh, people were mad about it on like the Schwann's forums when they discontinued of it. Course. They're like, of this course. other stuff is garbage. Outrage. You know, they wanted the old stuff back, you know, uh, and uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing it was probably something where it got to be maybe cost prohibitive to make or something. But that that said, I would buy that at a premium because nostalgia. <laughs> exactly. And that's, you know, sometimes you see those even uh, brands get kind of faded out and then somebody will come back and buy the original brand, the original label, whatever, and like bring it back to life. I've seen it happen with candies, especially that I could think of um, stuff that went away for two, three decades. And then somebody will buy all the original packaging and everything and then come back out with that candy again. And it's quite often people are like, it's close. Because <laughs> yeah. there was some part of the process or some machine that they don't have, you know, to to make it like they used to. So yeah. it's it's never going to quite be the same. But you know, the new machine whips it. You should be you should times. be making this ice cream because you know what it tastes like. Now you're going to have to make ice cream. Yeah, that's what get, it gets to. I swear, it's like all work here now. Like they don't make it anymore. Yeah, so I got to make this. I got to make that. I got to make everything. Yeah, I uh, speaking of making everything, I picked up only because I stumbled across it, and I I blame the algorithm uh, yeah. for this. But I was presented with a cookbook that was uh, called Nordic Baking, and I was like, I need that because I want to flip through it and see all of these recipes for things that I'm going to absolutely yeah. recognize, and a few that I won't, and that should be interesting. So. I, I just got it the other day. I haven't even begun to crack it, but I, I saw that. I'm like, I need that. I have to see it because guarantee you, you know, a third of my heritage is probably in that book. Oh, hell yeah. Somewhere, you know. Is it a mix of uh, savory and sweet bakes or is it mostly sweet? It, it, yes, it's it's both. Um, and okay, it's cool. funny too, because the author even acknowledges, I've read the foreword and, and he talks about, I really shouldn't call this baking because it's baking and there's jams and jellies and other stuff oh. in here and things to go along with the stuff you baked. He said, so it's, it's a little more holistic than that. Uh, and the, the first, the, the, one of the first things I, I, I read in there and it really kind of hooked me into it was he talked about, uh, he talked about the, the four types of, of grains that are available in Scandinavian mm -hmm. countries. And then he got into the importance of bread and there was a um, he, he mentioned a like a funerary stone hmm. that a wife had uh, written for her husband who had passed and uh, basically had said, here lies you know, name of husband and written by the wife of husband and mm -hmm. he was my bread you know something nice. like that or you yeah know, and it was it was literally you know bread kind of equaled love in this thing yeah and uh it was kind of a neat little analogy i'm like yeah man cooking equals love and i completely it was agree. a neat way to see that expressed from something you know, eons ago. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, even today that, that obviously rings true, but when you think back to their time and it was really about survival and getting through the winter and, you know, 
death was always kind of like right there. So food was sort of a, it was a safe haven, at least for a moment from all the troubles of that world. And I think it, it often is the same thing today in a different way. You know, we're living in a less dangerous world. We're, we're a lot safer. We're a lot healthier and, you know, not dealing with the dangers that we had back then in a lot of ways, but there are new dangers and there are new stressors and there are new things that can make food again, seem like the, the, uh, the break from the storm. And I, I certainly see it that way. I, I look forward to it. I think sometimes midday when I'm having a hard day, I'll think about what I'm going to have to eat later and kind of even daydream for a moment about, about that, just to, just to have a break from, you know, reality because reality yeah. can be kind of harsh sometimes. And so I, I agree with you. Just calling somebody your bread is, you know, that's, that's both kind of sweet, but also like, I get it. That makes a lot of sense. They, uh, they're your sustenance. They keep you alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought Amazing. it was a, it was a fun sentiment like there. And I was like, okay, you've hooked me in i'm gonna read this book (laughs) that's cool and when you initially mentioned the book i you know i was like eh, nordic baking i don't think i'd be that into it but now that you've told me both the the scope of it that he went beyond baking a little bit but then also the kind of the drive of it and the heart of it i'm like oh this sounds awesome now i'm like super intrigued good angle yeah and uh one of the first things i'd opened up to was like a like a salmon pasty was one of the first things that i Hell just yeah. cracked it open i'm like oh that's a neat little recipe Definitely. Uh, so it's yeah like you said sweet and savory in there it's not just the the sweet stuff because you know we have you seen now that you say that have you seen a pasty where they actually tuck a little corner of jam into the end of it for a dessert no so you'll be eating your savory meat pie of whatever kind right and then that last bite They'll have stuck and they sometimes separate it a little bit so it doesn't bleed into your other stuff, but they'll have stuck just like a nub of jam. And that's your last like bite or two is your dessert all in the same dish. I think that's hmm. so cool. Yeah. That is neat. Yeah. So it was like, you know, especially for travelers, it was like a food on the go kind of thing. And you'd have your complete meal there in one thing. It, it's inspiring to me because I want to do a sandwich concept and I, I want to have dessert sandwiches and I want to have breakfast sandwiches and I want to have um, lunch and dinner sandwiches. I want to have all the, the spectrum sandwiches, but I'd like to be able to offer it in like a multi-pack thing to where people could have a, you know, one little dessert sandwich, but then also have a, a dinner sandwich and also maybe have a breakfast sandwich or something like that. But and like that have that mix and yeah. And, and inspired by kind of that, the pasty thing. I, just thought that was such a cool idea to kind of give people a complete meal, but in just a few bites, you know, two bites of this, three bites of that kind of a thing. Well, and you mentioned dessert sandwiches, kind of taking it back to the old Japan thing. Japan does that where they take the the shokapon, the the milk bread, and they'll make fresh fruit sandwiches during the summer, which is a great idea during the summer. Completely inspired by that. Yeah. I recently made the the peanut butter and uh, cherry preserve sandwich and that was with whipped cream. And that was a hundred percent inspired by those sandwiches. Yeah, I love them. There's a place here um, that I go to. Uh, I can, the name's going to escape me right now, but it's a little bakery, and that's all they do is the little shakapon sandwiches, and they're fantastic. But, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, that's it. Speaks to you know seasonality as well. That you know, the fruits available now. It's the summer. It's the spring. We can get this you know fresh fruit let's put it in a sandwich so it's a celebration of the time of year and it's practical because it's a cold sandwich and it's refreshing on a hot day i mean 
That just makes all of the sense. Why wouldn't you do <laughs> so, that? Yeah, it's so good. It, it's so good. And they're also beautiful because they slice them like really pretty, like right down the middle and everything to make them look good. So yeah, eat with your eyes first and all that. Well, Josh, thank you so much. This has been a really fun time talking to you. And I feel like we kind of just got started. So I would definitely want to uh, talk to you again in the future. Um, but thank you for your time. And, and thanks for all the insight into both parts of your culture that I didn't know and foods that I'd never even heard of. I feel like I have some research to do once we get done here now. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's not fun if you don't have to Google something afterwards, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. All right, man. Well, cheers. We'll talk again soon. Cheers. Thank thanks again.